It's time for episode 45 of the Clockwise podcast from your pals at IDG, recorded July 17th, 2014. Clockwise, four guests, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the podcast that ticks when other podcasts talk. I'm Jason Snell, the co-host, and across the country from me are all our guests, actually, but also my co-host, Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. Hi, Jason. I, I thought we only talked on this podcast. Sitting to my virtual left in New York City is Caitlin McGarry of Tech Hive. Hi, Caitlin. Hi. Good to have you back. Thanks for having me. And to my left, uh, not, I think, too far from my location is uh, PC World's Brad Charcos. Hi, Brad. Hi, yo. How's it going? Going well. Welcome back. Thanks. Uh, since I am the uh, the first host today, I will go first with my topic. Um, Marco Arman's iPhone app Overcast came out this week. I think it's really nice. It's a podcast listening app, but there are lots of those out there and there's a lot of innovation happening. It's sort of what we used to see with Twitter apps before Twitter sort of took its ball and went home. And so, you know, different podcast app work, work in different ways for different people. There's no one right answer for what app is right for you. And it got me thinking, are there other things that we wish we'd see in software, you know, whether it's mobile apps or, or if you even wanted to on, on computers? Are there app categories out there that really could use some competition and shakeup and innovation in a way? Because, you know, if you, if you love listening to podcasts, you've got like eight iPhone apps to choose from if you're an iPhone user. So there's plenty there. But what about other areas where we could, we could use some innovation or competition in software? Caitlin, what do you think? So I think that, I know there's a lot of calendar and organization apps out there, but I haven't found the one that's, that could really help me. I mean, I, I have difficulty, you know, with my Outlook and my Gmail calendars and all of my contacts and where I'm supposed to be when, and it's sort of a hodgepodge of all of these different reminders and, um, and you know, different notifications that I'm getting to be places at different times. And I haven't found the best app to sort of help me manage that. And I'm actually not sure that there is one. Um, I saw a thing in the Wall Street Journal this week with a reporter who was having the same problem. So I, I think that maybe there's just not the right fix yet. But it seems like given that there's so many calendar and organization apps that there would be the best one, but I just haven't found it yet. Yeah, I, I think I have a similar problem with, with email. Um, I, re I use Apple's Mail on the Mac and on my iOS devices, and it's okay, but it's got a lot of problems, and it doesn't do a lot of things. And I, there's definitely some innovation going on there. You see people like Mailbox coming in and trying to do something that's a little bit different, but nobody's quite come up with something that is uh, you know, what I want to use Mail for, the way I want to use Mail. Um, and I think... That's tricky. Um, mail is very individualistic, as many of these things are, but um, it's really important. It's like one of the things I do pretty much every day, and I depend on my mail apps. So finding some way of tuning that to work a little better for the way that I manage my mail, which is very different, admittedly, from the way someone else might manage their own email. Um, but I, I'd like to see a little bit 
a little bit more work there and trying to come up with a way to to reinvent email. It seems it seems weird to me sometimes that we're using this technology that's basically been around for like 30 years and it doesn't seem to have really gotten that much better. Maybe that's a testament to its staying power, but for me, I'm really interested in finding ways of getting my email done faster and having my email client get out of my way. I was going to say the same thing as Caitlin, actually. I use <laughs> Google Calendar, and between that and Google Now, I mean, it keeps me aware of what I need to know, but it still just doesn't seem like a seamless, integrated part of my life. Uh, but since she already said that, I'll go on a little mini rant and say I wish that there were more games available that didn't rely on free- freemium pricing, because... <laughs> Bravo. That drives me crazy, man. <laughs> I just want to pay, you know, my five bucks for a game and be able to play the game what I want without being bothered to purchase a stupid hat or, you know, <laughs> six gems to play the next level. It drives me nuts. I've started playing way less mobile games over the past year or so because of it, actually. Yeah, you know, it's uh, one thing I didn't mention about Marco Arment's app is that uh, he uh, feels the pressure that if you're not free, uh, nobody's going to even try out your app. And so it's free with a single in-app purchase that unlocks all of the premium features, which actually I kind of like that because rather than trying to nickel and dime you, that, what you mentioned about games, I, I agree completely. I kind of like the idea that I can try the game for free or for cheap, but if I like it, I want to go all in. I just want to buy it. I don't want to have to buy gems and hats and things yeah. like that. I just want to buy it. I, once I'm in there, I don't want to spend $18 over the course of two weeks. I just want to say, here's here's 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever it is, if I think it's a good price, and just unlock everything and walk away. And it frustrates me. And also, I have to say, Caitlin wins. Dan, your response was really good, but I was going to mention calendars too, because I wrote a piece about this on Macworld a couple of years ago. There are so many intelligent things that calendars should be able to do in terms of knowing where your events are and scheduling your, your, your calendar and doing smart things like saying, hey, your day looks really busy, so I'm going to automatically block out a lunchtime for you before it, it, it completely fills up with meetings. There's intelligence that could be brought to bear on calendars, and it's just not there. And the calendars today don't look that different, honestly, from the calendars that I used in the 90s on my computer. So that I think it's I think, I think <laughs> or, it's right. Or the ones in your giant paper books that you used to yeah. have. Well, I mean, I, planners. in terms of, I mean, now up to date of 1994 is not really that different from the calendar app I use today. Honestly, it's just pretty much the same, which is kind of sad. Thank you. I win. <laughs> Let's move on to Caitlin. Since you win, you also get to give us the next topic. Oh, great. Okay. So as we all know, or maybe maybe you don't know, but if, if you haven't seen, Airbnb yesterday had this beautiful event for its super users. They broadcast it live from the first Airbnb, um, the living room of the first Airbnb. And they they had this heartfelt presentation about what Airbnb means. And it was all lovely. And at the end of it, they unveil this new logo, which, you know, logos aren't that exciting. I'm, it's, it's just a picture. And the company name. But this logo got everybody talking um, because it, it looks sort of strange and um, like, you know, there, there are things there that <laughs> people were seeing that maybe some other people weren't seeing. I'm not going to describe them for you. But um, I was curious what you guys thought because this logo got quite a lot of attention for, for being what it is, which is a boring logo. And I wanted to know <laughs> if you think that um, if you think that Airbnb's uh, attention-getting logo was really that big of a deal, or 
if it was just pretty hilarious given what it, it looks or doesn't look like. Um, let's go out, out on a limb and say that Airbnb probably didn't expect this much attention on its logo. <laughs> that said, logos are hard, man. I, I, I have a friend who uh, has dabbled in some graphic design in the past, and finding something that is simple and iconic is very, very tricky. Um, and it's always surprising when something like this gets around because, you know, while that may not have the impression that I got upon first looking at may not have been the impression that everybody else seemed to get. Once I didn't get it either, actually. Yeah, uh, but once you start hearing about it, it's like you're never going to unsee it, right? And it's right. like, especially with this much attention on it, you know, I, I, they're kind of stuck because on the one hand, either they have to, you know, sort of just ignore everything and just be like, all right, this is just our logo. It'll wear off. People will stop talking about it eventually, which may work. I mean, there was all the the people who criticized Apple when the iPad came out that it sounded like oh god, like something I remember unpleasant. that. But like, who, <laughs> who thinks about that now? It's four. It's four years later. Nobody really worries about that. It's an iPad. We're all cool with it. Um, and sometimes that's the right answer: is you just sort of stonewall your way through it. If you decide to go back and change it, well, for one thing, it's very expensive. For another thing. It doesn't present the best image in some ways of like, yeah, we heard you. There are times when you want to acknowledge your customers' complaints. I'm not sure this is one of those times. The third option, which I would love to see them try, is just try and like sort of roll with it and like make a joke or something. I don't know. That's really hard to pull off. But I think if they did, they could like turn people around on it. Um, and so, you know, maybe you just play it up or you play with her somehow <laughs> that might be dangerous in this case, but I think it could also, uh, it could potentially have a good reward for them. So good luck to them. Like you said, I'm, I'm pretty bored by this. I, it's a new logo. Who cares? I think a lot of the controversy is just, you know, jaded, cynical tech writers being snarky on Twitter like they do. What? I mean, Shocking. whatever. <laughs> I think that everyday people who use BMV don't give a crap. I don't think they're going to see female body parts in it or anything like that. It's just going to be a logo at the top of the screen. I was kind of bemused by the idea where uh, the CEO or the founder said, uh, you know, imagine putting this logo in your window so that people know this is a shared space and you're welcome <laughs> here, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I believe Susie Oaks, one of the, someone who works at Tech Hive, said it, and it struck with me right away it just makes me think of hobo signs <laughs> and that i don't know if that's necessarily what they're shooting for with airbnb but it just now for me i don't see you know female body parts but i just see hobo signs i'm not sure that's <laughs> the better. hobos of the 21st century <laughs> well in some in some cities you know advertising the fact that you're opening your home to whoever wants to stay there is uh it's illegal so i don't know if that's the best idea yeah, look at me, cops. They're dreaming. They're dreaming big at Airbnb. You know, I I think the, I think the logo is. I mean, it is what it is. You can look at it and see those things. It also sort of looks like a weird paperclip. But um, the thing that got me was that they wrote this whole big blog post about how this was an inspirational logo, and they gave it a name. It's the below. Belo, They gave it a name. Yeah, it's called the Belo with an with an accent. It's B. You've gone, you've gone too far. E now. with an acute accent. L O. And that's what I want to say is I, that's the thing that bugs me is that this is this generated this kind of incredibly navel gazing, self important, ridiculous. Let's explain why we 
came through a whole process and worked really hard to make a logo for you that shows how important we are to everybody's lives. That's the part that made me groan because that is a um, that is a sign of a company that has really bought into its own PR, and that's I, I that, it's never a good sign when you believe in your own your own press clippings, and they they seem to believe that they are world changing geniuses who have come up with a logo. So good for them, but whatever. Pro tip to CEOs, never try to explain your logo. No. If no. The whole point of a logo is it doesn't need to be explained because yeah. it's iconic. You don't see them like Tim Cook coming out and being like, you know, the bite out of the apple represents our taste of knowledge <laughs> from the Garden of Eden, right? Like- oh, I wish he would. I wish he would. <laughs> Dan? Well, I was going to mention, this sort of switches gears uh, quite a bit, but I was going to mention the big news in the Apple sphere this week, which is that Apple and IBM have teamed up to uh, sort of deliver enterprise solutions. I know, it sounds super exciting right now. Woo! Yeah. Well, um, what's interesting to me is that this is, in some ways, it's an uh, unlikely partnership. These guys have worked together before. They worked on the PowerPC platform back in the early 90s. Um, But it's also unusual for Apple in that Apple's not a company that often makes these huge deals with big partners. So uh, I'm curious to know from you guys if this is something that you find interesting, intriguing. Uh, is there a big potential here for growth in the enterprise for Apple? Um, is this What's the upside for IBM? I'm just kind of curious to hear your thoughts on it. Brad, you come from the PC side. What do you, what do you think about this? I think it's a pretty smart partnership, actually. Uh, it kind of plays to both their strengths. Uh, you know, Apple... As I was kind of snuck into the back door of, uh, you know, enterprises and businesses and stuff, you know, through BYOD, people are bringing in their iPads and MacBooks and saying, hey, make this happen. And this integration with IBM makes it, you know, much more possible and IT friendly than, you know, just a dude showing up with an iPad saying, hey, make this work. Uh, the most intriguing part to me is I'm interested to see how this affects, you know, Windows 8 adoption in the enterprise and business because it's been kind of struggling Windows tablets and Microsoft has been positioning hard to position that as the, you know, the business tablet of choice. But this somewhat negates that. And I'm interested to see if that takes off. I'm also interested to see if this is the, you know, the death knell for BlackBerry, who already, you know, it's pretty far down in the mires and uh, recently refocused to be enterprise software related entirely in this just seems like it's bad news for blackberry yeah you know you're you're dead on ipads are already in enterprise and apple has tooted their horn about that but you got to wonder you know apple's uh, apple's never going to be focused on the weird kind of relationship and and understanding that these huge enterprises have with technology and that's what ibm does and so it's really like um ibm is going to use apple's uh, technology as uh, a way for IBM to, you know, push their services as well as the so- their software, their apps, and Apple's hardware. And I just don't see any way that this isn't good for Apple. There was a story I made fun on, on fun of on Twitter. Speaking of people being snarky on Twitter, where uh, I think Reuters said something of like IBM agrees to write a hundred apps for the iPad in exchange. IBM will sell iPads to enterprises. It's like in exchange for what? That that's like good for Apple. That's like me saying I'm going <laughs> to give you money. Heads I win, tails you lose. <laughs> I'm going to give you money, and in exchange, I will also buy you dinner. 
either. It's just no, no. That's not. This is all good for Apple. It I think legitimizes the iPad in maybe some skeptical eyes in enterprise, and it also covers that scale that you know. It's just like with when we talk about Apple's and Apple and gaming. Apple plays in gaming, but Apple just doesn't pay attention to the games market. And this is true with enterprise too. They're in there, but they're not. They don't speak that language. So it's great for Apple, and I think it's good for IBM to be free to kind of hang its star on this good product because they found a partner that doesn't have their skills but has good products and that's a great fit for them so i think it's i think it's great this is not there are a lot of stories that were very much the oh boy hell freezes over apple and ibm working together that are like people haven't paid attention to the tech market since the 80s i guess because um apple and ibm have had many many ventures over the years including the uh the apple ibm motorola alliance that led to the power pc processor that was in max for a long time and uh even like Taligent, which was a an operating oh, yeah. system uh, joint venture that sort of didn't go anywhere, and and they're uh, they actually Apple even at one point made servers that ran IBM's um, operating system. So uh, this is not the first time, but I think it's a good move. Well, that's very interesting history that I I didn't know all of that, Jason. Thank you so much. Um, Ancient and- <laughs> history, I I can provide it. I I've got that going for me. That's I rely on you for that. Um, yeah, I think it's a I think it's a great idea, and actually, I'm I'm kind of ashamed to admit this, but I thought that Apple already had an enterprise sales team and was already working in that space. So when they announced this partnership, I was like, oh, that wasn't already happening. It seems like such a natural a natural fit because I mean, as Brad was saying, people are already using iPads and iPhones. And, and MacBooks um, every day at work. So I just sort of assumed that was a, a sort of formal partnership. Um, and I also agree with Brad that this will probably have some implications for BlackBerry. Um, since he mentioned it, I hadn't thought of that before. But I do still see people, businessmen and women, wandering the streets of New York, tapping away on their, their BlackBerry uh, physical keyboards. <laughs> and I'm always like, why? What? How is this still a thing that's happening? Um, and I think that that will probably go away or at least fade slightly um, with this partnership. So I'm I'm really curious to see what happens. Which I don't think I've ever said that about an enterprise news story ever. So kudos to them for for making me interested at least. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know what's interesting. So in, in point of fact, Apple did have an enterprise sales team, which I think they largely gutted a few years ago. And in that point, I think it was because at the time, it was still largely focused probably on selling Macs to enterprises, right? And that was not really a priority or it wasn't really a market that had a lot of growth in it at that point anyways, um, because it was so entrenched on the PC side. Um, Because I had an acquaintance who I believe worked in enterprise sales at Apple uh, for a long time and left that job several years ago. Um, and to Jason's point about, uh, you know, Apple and IBM working together, it's not that odd. Apple kind of has a history of, of turning around and working with the people that, you know, the outsiders seem to consider its biggest rivals, IBM, Intel, heck, Microsoft kept them in business in 1997, right? All these things are important. They're, they're very smart as a company. Um, so this just seems to me in some ways, business as usual, uh, in terms of trying to identify, hey, what's the best way for us to attack this market? And, and I think that you guys are all right that the um, 
that Apple had its foot in the door, but it really needed to find a way to sort of establish a more uh, broad presence throughout enterprise rather than just being uh, present because the the employees are want to use their devices on the network. I think it, it really believes that there's there's opportunity for it here uh, to be just you know institutionalized as it was. So I, I'm I'm interested. I, I don't know how big a splash this is going to make as far as the consumer level tech press goes, but it's certainly uh, poised to bring Apple some more some more market share so in that department. So that'll be interesting to watch. Speaking of uh, market share and new things, um, I think <laughs> it's time to uh, talk about Chromebooks again. Because, uh, you know, they've always been kind of, you know, viewed with disdain as, you know, this dumb piece of glass that is useless without, uh, you know, a web connection. But over the past couple of years, Google's really done a lot of work to uh, – Make it so that Chromebooks function pretty well offline. And uh, as somebody who works on a computer full time, I use a Chromebook as, you know, my daily laptop now. And I'm surprised just how much of my work can be done on the web. And when and the offline capabilities when I need to come in, you know, a useful augmentation tool. Um, And in the past week, you know, a couple different things came out. Uh, NPD said that 35% of commercial channel sales of all laptops were Chromebooks, which kind of surprised a bunch of people. And uh, at the partner conference that Microsoft had this past week, um, they were kind of directly firing at Chromebooks and saying, hey, we're going to have Chromebook alternatives with these $200 laptops and whatnot. So I was wondering, what do you guys think? Uh, Are Chromebooks viable yet, or are they still useless hunks of plastic (laughs) when you're away from your Wi-Fi? I, I think they are getting more viable every day. I uh, I think that uh, cheap. If you're in the market for a super cheap laptop, or you're a school that needs the you know the cheapest laptops you can get, and not having to have that encumbrance of an operating system. At that point, the cheapest laptops are going to be PC laptops, so you're going to have the encumbrance of having Windows there. If all you're really doing is stuff that's on the web anyway, there is no need for any of the security issues and any of the compatibility issues to get in your way. The offline issues are getting better, uh, so that's good. I mean, the last time I, I used a the first time I used a Chromebook, it was kind of a mess, and it has gotten a lot better more recently, I think. I'm also intrigued by a couple of things. One is um, Google talking about being able to have Android apps run on Chromebooks. I think that's a big deal because one of the things that holds you back on a Chromebook is that it really wants to put everything in the browser and not have executable uh, apps. And there's some stuff that is harder to do. Uh, you lose c- compatibility with some things. Like I edit podcasts, and you can't do that on a Chromebook, really, because you've really need an executable file for that. Um, so I'm intrigued by the Android apps thing and also the fact that underneath the hood it is running Linux and I just did this on a Chromebook the other week as I, I was able to fairly easily go into developer developer mode and install um, some Linux stuff behind the scenes so I can flip over from Chromebook mode into Linux mode and run like Minecraft or something like that it, and, and that actually works great. So I think there's a lot of potential behind the scenes. It's just, you know, it's taken the this long to get to this point but um to get if you're if you're buying a cheap laptop and you don't have to have windows get in the way and all of the issues that can come up with with windows stuff i think that's great i don't i don't see why you wouldn't want that as long as the offline stuff works okay so i'm bullish about it i gotta say caitlin what do you think yeah i totally agree um i think that chromebooks have definitely improved um since since they were first introduced um and it does sound like microsoft is a little concerned um, and I, I definitely agree that for people who just want a cheap computer that 
will, you know, help them surf the internet and check their email and maybe do a few offline tasks, but nothing too major. They're, they're just looking for something that's inexpensive and ideally that, you know, sort of looks good. A lot of the really cheap, um, uh, windows based computers, uh, laptops are just, you know, they're not that appealing. They're not, you know, visually appealing at all, really. So I think that the Chromebooks, uh, at least some of the later ones, um, sort of fill that, that niche that people who are looking for a cheap, nice computer, like that's, that's pretty much all you want. I mean, most people aren't, you know, making podcasts and, and don't need to do all of this, uh, heavy duty work. Like they just want something that's sort of an iPad, but, or a tablet, but has a, you know, a keyboard and a mouse or, you know, a mouse that you could plug in, um, you know, just some, some, some of the same uh, web surfing capabilities and offline capabilities, but they don't want to spend a lot of money. They don't, you know, I think that Chromebooks definitely fill, fill that niche. And when people ask me what they should buy, um, that's, that's sort of become my, my go-to answer if they say, you know, this is my budget. I'm like, well, you know, you might want to look at a Chromebook. If all you're going to be doing is, you know, the bare minimum, then you probably don't need this hugely expensive computer like you just don't so i i think that they're improving and i'm actually pretty impressed that they stuck around so we'll see one thing that's uh funny is uh i actually recently recommended sorry to cut you off then that's right uh uh to my grandmother that uh you know she was looking for a way because all she really does is go on facebook shoot some emails around maybe watch them on youtube and fiddle with pictures and i said hey why don't you check out a chromebook and she bought one and they have taken off. They're huge in her retirement community now. Everybody, once they started playing with them, loved the Chromebooks because you never have to sit around for it to wait to update. You never have to fiddle with antivirus and crap like that. It's just been really popular in my grandmother's retirement community. Well, that's a huge selling point. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that, that is probably a market that's hard to tap into. I think it's interesting because I think you're, you're totally right that when you position something like a Chromebook against a laptop, especially a Windows laptop, um, that it fits a lot of, you know, niches that you can't get otherwise. You know, it's easy, it's simple, it's cheap, um, and it doesn't require all that maintenance, as you were just saying. I mean, that's all key. And if you don't need the power of a full laptop, then it's certainly a good alternative. I'm intrigued because I feel like it, it does end up going very head-to-head against something like a tablet. Um, and there's definitely advantages if you, especially I know, convincing some of my, say, family members to, you know, use tablets over the laptops or desktops that they've grown accustomed to using can sometimes be an uphill battle because it looks kind of alien. But more more often than not, when they start using them, they end up really, really liking them and preferring them in many cases to things like a laptop. So I think it's interesting, but at the same time, I really wonder if it's something that is going to last a long time or whether it's something that's going to sort of be a you know, a, a flash in the pan. I mean, you think back a few years ago and everybody was talking about netbooks <laughs> and, you know, a Chromebook is a, is a very similar idea. It's a better implementation than a netbook was, certainly, no question about that. But in some ways, they do seem like they're, they're stopgap solutions or things that don't quite do everything that a laptop does and maybe do a little more than a tablet, but maybe not that much comparatively. So 
uh, I don't know. It's 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 interesting to me that Google has positioned itself both to work on tablets and on you know this sort of Chromebook platform. There, it's 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 weird in some ways because it seems like Google spreads itself very thin between all these solutions: Android on tablets, Android on phones. They've got multiple TV platforms. They're trying to get sort of everywhere. I don't think all of those things can succeed just because of the nature of it. But um, right now, I agree that there's something interesting in it. I just wonder if it has longevity. One thing I find interesting at kind of a higher level, you know, being, you know, the guy who's into operating systems and stuff like that, you know, the tech dork writer guy, is how one of the ways that Chromebooks are becoming more viable is all these offline things and these Android apps. Um, they're shifting away kind of from the open web concept and like these offline Chrome apps that are available now use proprietary Chrome APIs. So they're kind of shifting away from the ideal of, you know, we're this open technology focused solely on the web to resemble something that's slightly more like a traditional operating system. And I just find that intriguing at a high level. Well, we have reached the end of our show. So I wanted to ask our very quick bonus question. It's the middle of July and it's a simple one. What are your summer vacation plans, if any, Caitlin? Well, um, someone, <clears throat> Jason Smelt, is uh, forcing me to go to San Francisco no. next month. So I'm going to have to go all the way out there. It's like this whole thing. Um, but that'll be fun because it's actually the week of my birthday. So I'll get to spend some time with my lovely colleagues and also enjoy the city. Um, and then I hope to make it out to a few of the beaches in the New York area because there are many. Um, I'm hoping to go to Long Beach uh, next weekend um, and some of the others. Coney Island is a favorite. Um, but I hear that there are sharks uh, somewhere near those beaches, so I'm hesitant. But if you guys don't hear from me after one of those trips, just know I was probably eaten by a shark. We wait. We get we get vacation time. That's a thing that we get. I was I was not aware of ne- this. Ne- ne- forget I said anything, Dan. Uh, I am going. Work. I I am going away to uh, my family's got a place in upstate New York in the Finger Lake region. I am going up there for a week or so in the beginning of August, and really looking forward to it because I haven't had vacation in ooh, eight months or so. Wow. They make lakes out of fingers. That's weird. Brad, what about you? Uh, next month, beyond the San Francisco trip that Caitlin was mentioning, I'm also spending an extended weekend at a cottage along the beachfront in Maine. But beyond those four or five days, uh, for the most part, I have a lot of games, thanks to the Steam Summer Sale, <laughs> and I have a lot of beers in the fridge, and I just plan to combine those to great effect on this hot summer month. <laughs> Bravo. Right, well done. That's great. That sounds awesome. Um, it's my uh, 20th wedding, wedding anniversary coming up, and my wife and I are going to Mexico for a few Ooh, days. Congratulations. Without the, without the kids. Thank you. So Anyway, that is it. We're out of time. So I'd like to thank uh, our guests. Caitlin, thank you so much for being here. Of course. Thank you. Brad, thank you for being here. Anytime. Anytime. And to everyone out there, as always, Dan and I remind you, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.